Back to the Clemson podcast. It is Tuesday, October 9th, and the Clemson Tigers are 6-0 after finessing their way to a 63-3 victory over the Wake Forest Demon Deacons in Grove Stadium on Saturday. Ben and Cody here with you today to recap the game, and given that it's the midpoint of the regular season and we're heading into a bye week, this is also a good time to do a midseason reset and revisit some of our predictions coming into the year and comparing them to where we are now and where we thought we'd be at this point. And if how we got here has changed our outlook on the season. But Cody, it's hard to believe it's been this long, but we just marked the 10-year anniversary of Dabo getting named the interim coach at Clemson. What a decade it has been. Yeah, it's funny. I was, I mean, it, it's been, first of all, it's been a really fast decade. It's its flown by. And, I, you know, I was listening to Larry Williams' podcast. I got to plug it because I listen to it. And I enjoy it so much, even though it's our competitor not really our competitor, but we'll, it, we'll call it a competitor. And uh, he was he was interviewing um, uh, Terry Don Phillips' right hand man, and his name's blanking on me. But uh, this this gentleman kind of walked us walked through uh, in his story how the how the firing happened or how Tommy Bowden stepped down. And I, I remember it vividly at this point. But the way he was explaining it, he brought Dabo into the room and. And he was he was ready, man. He said he from from the onset he carried himself like a head coach. He just had something about him. He said Dabo would cut to your soul, whereas Tommy Bowden would just I don't know. He would touch your skin. Dabo would touch your soul. Tommy Bowden would touch your skin. But anyhow, it, it's 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 been an amazing. I, I thought it was good to it would be good to reflect on this to think how far we've come in ten years and how we can become prisoners of the moment. But it's good to kind of go back up to that to a higher level view of things and, and have some perspective of how things have, how, how much better things have gotten over the last 10 years. Yeah. I mean, I can vividly remember, you know, as soon as Tommy Bowden got fired, everybody was just kind of waiting around, anticipating what was going to happen. It was after a loss to Wake Forest and it happened. And then Dabo was named the interim coach. And so you had the immediate um, kind of relief and, you know, excitement of everybody wanted Tommy Bowden gone because we expected more out of Clemson for at that point. Um, but then you bring on Dabo, and this is unknown. And you know, Terry Don Phillips, he he said all the the things that we know now. But it took a leap of faith, which not a lot of us made as fans, to believe him that Dabo was the right man for the job. But you know, everything he said was that this guy was a head coach and waiting, like you know, 
whether or not it was going to be at that moment 10 years ago in uh, 2008 or further down the road, this guy was going to be a head coach. So what better time to insert him um, as an interim coach in a season that's by all accounts already lost anyways, uh, insert him, see how he does. And sure enough, Dabo goes on and I think he goes what four and three or something like that to, to in the year with a win over South Carolina, which more or less sealed the fate of him becoming the head coach at Clemson. And even when he was named head coach, still there was a lot of doubters. A lot of people were like, what is this wide receivers coach, ex insurance salesman? You know, how is he the answer? Uh, after replacing Tommy Bowden, a guy who had a lot of success at Clemson, unprecedented success going back, um, you know, to the Danny Ford days, everything after that. Um, Tommy Bowden had more success here than anybody that came after Danny Ford. He had some big wins. He had big wins against uh, his father. Uh, Bobby Bowden at Florida State. He handled South Carolina. Um, and then you bring in Dabo. So, I mean, justifiably, you know, and justifiably so, Clemson fans were skeptical. But looking in the rearview mirror, hindsight being 2020, I mean, man, what a great call. Yeah, Bill D'Andrea, by the way, is, it was Terry Don Phillips' right hand man. But yet, let me ask you, were, were you one of the naysayers, uh, especially like that 2010 season? And if people can't, don't recall, that's the six and seven season after Spiller had left. That was Dabo's second year. Were you one of the naysayers? Um, no, I was actually pretty trusting probably to a fault and, and probably without reason, justifiable reason to be so trusting in Terry Don Phillips. Remember, this is a time like not a lot of people had confidence in Terry Don Phillips at this time either in the way this uh you know, the sports programs were going at Clemson. So this took a kind of a leap of faith on his part as well. I mean, that, that could have been his job after naming Dabo head coach. If Dabo doesn't succeed in uh, the next two or three years, Terry Don Phillips has gone with him, pushed out the door. So, um, but I was, you know, everything that they said about him was, is kind of how I felt when Dabo was, was talking to us about Hunter Renfro, um, you know, Hunter Renfro's second year after his first year after being a red shirt coming in. You know, everything that, that I heard, I liked. And I felt like we needed a fresh start for this program. You know, Clemson fans at that point, you know, we were still living uh, vicariously through our success in the 80s, I think, thinking that we deserved a big-name coach and that any big-name coach out there, uh, you know, we deserve for them to give us a look and we think we have a legitimate shot. But listen, Clemson football hadn't been anything in the previous you know, 16, 17 years. So, you know, looking back on that now, we really, it wasn't justified for us to think that we could get any big name coach out there and a big name coach would want to come to Clemson because the foundation wasn't there. The, the facilities were lacking. You know, Tommy Bowden made a push for those to get better, but the talent wasn't there. You go back and look at Tommy Bowden's recruiting classes. There's a lot of two and three stars on there, some four stars and not really any five stars. So uh, the, the, the cupboard was kind of bare, so to speak. Um, so, again, hindsight, I, I think as Clemson fans, we probably expected too much, thought we deserved more than um, we should have. But at the same time, you got to be really happy now looking back at what we ended up with. Absolutely. So the, the thing that stood out was, um, to me, was kind of the, the mindset back then. And we were about eight, I guess, eight and four, nine and three most years. And we just couldn't get over the hump. And that was always Tommy Bowden just couldn't get over the hump. And people thought the the proper correction to that was bring in someone that's 25% better of a coach and, and kind of the, the underlying assumption there being that who whomever that coach would be, would be just 
like Tommy Bowden, you know, well, uh, well experienced and, and ha- you know, a record of winning. And then, and, and like you said, Clemson fans had this sense almost to a fault, like the sense of entitlement or, or like thinking they were bigger than they really were. Uh, especially after Dabo's second year, thinking you're just going to have your list of, of schmoes to, 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 to pick from. And that just wasn't the case. And, and you're right. Things were getting growing stale back then. Um, Clemson, got, people don't know how much we were on a path to just mediocrity for for over the last decade. We could very well just be sitting in like some type of purgatory. And, uh, you know, you could compare it to South Carolina over the last few years where you're just trying to get in the top 25 and, uh, and, that, and that is sufficient. That's where Clemson was headed. And let's not forget that, you know, the end of those Tommy Bowden years was where the term Clemsoning came from. Yeah, that, well, yeah, that was what the brand was known for, and, and, and Dabo inherited a good bit of that. So, yeah, like you said, things were stale. It needed that new face. We thought just you know plug and play with the next guy, but it was something that needed a facelift, and, and Dabo was the right guy. And the one thing that – we always talk about this, but it stands out in the way that uh, Terry Don Phillips seemed to conduct himself is just, just good people. They, they could spot good people. Uh, people that were positive and, and that genu- genuine, genuinely cared about their players, and that has been that has been the brand. That's that's been a staple. Now he does do things because he had, I believe Dabo has an MBA, so even though he was the the used car salesman, the car insurance or the insurance salesman, he was much more than that. He was much more brighter, much more astute. He had a vision. He executed it. A lot of it had to do with first getting everyone on board internally, and then he manifested that outwardly. And that's how you get all, that's where you start seeing the recruits. You start seeing the coaching hires and, and things just, oh man, it was, it was incremental, you know, and the podcast has got, we've been able to cover it for the last four years and it's been, uh, it's been unbelievable. It's been a great ride, even, even back before the, the, the genesis of the podcast. Yeah. Really the brilliance of it all is to bring on a guy who knows how to do something with nothing. I mean, he did it with his own talent, right? As a wide receiver at Alabama, turned that into being part of a national championship winning team in the early nineties. Uh, but so he had that going for him. And, you know, when you bring in a guy like that, the expectations, the bar isn't set as high. And again, part of that brilliance is knowing what a great recruiter he is. Tommy Bowden had already gotten the the facility talk going and started to getting commitments, uh, from the athletic department and from the university to start building out the facilities and Dabo carried on, you know, uh, led on carrying that torch, but the recruiting aspect of it, um, just, him to be able to go in and this is part of his the salesman uh, pitch but also part of his personality and the culture that he aimed to build he was able to go in and you know had a hiccup there um during that first recruiting class just because of all the turnover but you immediately started seeing strides and leaps and bounds in the recruiting under Dabo and look no further than the fact that when nobody thought it was possible while still working for Tommy Bowden he goes out and gets CJ Spiller from uh from Florida so and again, talking about the 10 year anniversary, CJ Spiller, probably at this point, the most pivotal, important person um, in changing this program around besides Dabo as a player, certainly probably the most important, I would say. I agree with that. It, he, he started, a, it was a domino effect that started with Spiller. And what was interesting when I've heard some of these interviews and you've seen Larry Williams write uh, some of his pieces about the way that I mean, Dabo was... I think his enthusiasm kind of rubs some of the older guys on the staff the wrong way. Uh, you know, who had that old, that Bear Bryant old-fashioned mindset of just, just work hard and, you know what I mean, just kind of suck all the joy and all the fun out of it. And that wasn't Dabo's MO. And I think there was that kind of sentiment about him. So whenever he went out to get 
Spiller. And he said, I, I got him. He told Tommy about it and I got him. It sounded too good to be true. A lot of people didn't believe it. We had a four uh, four star running back in the fold, close to committing. I think in Arkansas at the time. So we were like, hey, let's you know, let's take the true the the true uh, the true guy or the the safe pick, I should say. And anyhow, I, I and I, what was interesting in, a, in in the most recent interview with uh, Billy and, and DeAndrea was that one of the first things Dabo did was fire Rob Spence. Now you we all know that story, but. It was, and I, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to be like the rumor mill or, or gossip police or whatever. But um, what what stood out to me there was just that, like, there were some guys that were toxic, and he had to, he had to, you know, clean some things. He had to go through a detox. Uh, well, not, that that bottom you know, that, that bottom a lot of favor with the fan base too, because the fans wanted Rob Spence to go. <laughs> so he was a he's a bit of a politician and a coach. He's got like the CEO mindset. Well, and, uh, and you have to be right and. Um, Man, again, all those that that's him coming in right away as a whatever 38 year old uh, guy, pretty uh, unknown under the radar as far as Clemson fans are concerned. Um, and then he comes in right away, he takes the job and he fires Rob Spence. I mean, that's that's a bold move. And that's the move of a guy that's not showing his uh, age and and his lack of experience. Um, it, it showed that he was a guy that came in ready for this position and, and, and had been studying it up. On it for for quite some time. He was ready. He was not. The moment was not too big for Dabo, and you know, I, I, we didn't see it at the time. I, I think you know you're blind to that. But again, looking back on that and looking everything that he's brought us through up into the point of winning national championship and now competing every year for a national championship, you can tell it obviously wasn't too big for him. And all those little coaching hiccups that we went through in the early part of his career. And honestly, quite honestly, we continue to go through because listen, he's only been a head coach for 10 years compared to guys like Nick Saban or Urban Meyer, who have been head coaches for much longer than that. So yeah, you, there's still growing pains. It's a, if you're a coach for 40 years, a head coach for 40 years, the first 10 years of your career is a quarter of that time. So yeah, there's going to be development, but you know, kind of like what we hear about Trevor Lawrence. Uh, he doesn't, he didn't seem to make the same mistakes twice. Yeah, well, you talk about the early firing, not just Rob Spence, but then a, a good friend of his, Billy Napier, who was the OC in that in that first year, two that or that second year, two thousand ten, and then yeah, and then Kevin Still the year after that, after the the Orange Bowl debacle. So those are yeah. those are tough decisions because he, he is a loyal a loyal guy, but he knows. I mean, those are like you said, that shows just an element of 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 leadership and and having to make the tough decisions. That that goes that's that's part of it. So, I, 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 by the way, I don't. I, yeah, I tend to think you're giving him too much credit for the Kevin Steele firing. That was a pretty easy decision. <laughs> That's yeah, good point. Uh, but I mean, so going forward, I don't. By the way, I don't think it will be one of his his last tough decisions he'll have to make. But you look at Jimbo Fisher in the arc uh, during his his tenure. He went up quick, but man, he came down even quicker. And that is what I've heard is it's it's hard. It's it's a lot easier to get. I shouldn't say it's easy to get to the top, but it's that move to the top is easy. It's staying there. So now we're like, it's a different era in Clemson football. So we're having, we're, like you said, we're still learning things. He's still learning things. We're say we're learning as a fan base, but um, yeah, he's, I mean, yeah. he was learning all the way to bringing Clemson up to a national, uh, uh, national powerhouse and elite team in college football. And now he's in the second chapter of that, which is maintaining all of that success. And, so far, the returns are pretty positive. I'm uh, I'm all on, I'm all aboard uh, the Dabo train. I've, I've always been, by the way, just like you. And 
I, I like that he does it the right way. You know, that we find some skeletons in closets. Uh, we, we've even in, in the most unusual or uh, uns- the, the ones we would suspect the less, the least, uh, and guys like Paterno. But um, for the most part, we think that Dabo does it the right way, and I appreciate it as a as a grad. Um, and yeah, let's. I'm very thankful, like I said, that we're not just stuck in some level of like mediocrity, uh, in mediocrity and in perpetuity. Okay, well, needless to say, it's been a hell of a run over the last 10 years, and we're certainly looking forward to the next 10 and beyond, uh, hopefully with Dabo as our head coach and with many more national championships to come. Before we get into the Wake Forest recap here, I want to thank everybody for listening to the show, um, especially all of those who have given us, uh, left us iTunes reviews. Uh, it has been absolutely amazing to read everybody's kind words. We really appreciate that and quite honestly don't think we're deserving of it. But again, thank you so much for taking the time to go on there and saying such nice things about us. I'm going to kind of dig in. Uh, hopefully for the next episode and, and give some shout outs of, of everybody who's gone on there. And for all of those who haven't, we'd really appreciate go on iTunes, leave us a review, um, join the crowd of all the many people who have left, had good things to say about the podcast. It really helps us bump us up in iTunes, helps get us out there um, for other Clemson fans to find. And if you haven't done it already, tell your friends, um, coworkers, any Clemson fan that's looking for some other form of Clemson media, uh, to get them through the the college football season. And, um, hey, we do basketball and baseball, too. Basketball is right around the corner. Uh, so with that, let's turn our attention to the Wake Forest game. Okay, Cody, a 63-3 to victory over Wake Forest. This was just what the doctor ordered for this Clemson team that, as some perceive, has struggled a bit this year. Um, obviously with the, the, the quarterback situation, uh, things weren't quite as uh, running quite as smoothly as you would have hoped early on, but now that Trevor Lawrence is now the clear starter back healthy, the offense really gets it going. It's the largest margin of victory in conference play in school history. The 698 yards of total offense is the fifth most in school history. Um, what a great day. Uh, and what a great game, uh, watching that go down. This is just what we needed. Agreed. I think we needed a, a clean game, and it, while it wasn't perfect in like the first quarter on offense, and I was wondering if we would score more than I don't know two touchdowns, at, at, you know, within the first five six minutes, it it was it was pretty downhill from there. And uh, we can we can go into our, our takeaways. We're not going to go in full depth on this game, but it was it was it was a clean game, and that tells me guys were they're they're paying attention. They're 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 in the film room. They're they're taking notes. They're watching film. Uh, on their own time, and and that's how you that's how you see things like less missed tackles, less guys out of out of place, and and that's on the defense. The flip side, the offense needed like they needed they needed a tune up game, and and Trevor Lawrence did not look like he's back to one hundred percent, not in my estimation. So it was it was just the right type of of game uh, for for confidence going into a bye week, and and wow, we we made it. We're six and zero. Yeah, and listen, this isn't some FCS school. You know, this is a decent Wake Forest team. Um, uh, you know, n- not over, of course, not to overlook the fact that they were missing a lot of key pieces on defense, which was the reason why we ran all over them in this game. But to use 56 players in the first quarter, that is an astronomical number. Um, you know, we played all 72 that traveled on the day. That's not the first time we did this this year, but using 56 players in the first quarter, that is, that is a shocking statistic. Yeah, I mean, you, you said it last, I believe in our last review, 
how this is you gotta you gotta play this way and you gotta rotate guys in. This is the scenario that you do it though, in my opinion, against Wake Forest. Not not down ten against Syracuse, but these are these are very valuable reps. You're seeing you're seeing guys like Kyler McMichael, Mario Goodrich, um, like a corner. They're getting very needed reps, not just for next year, but really down the line. And then and Justin Ross supplanting really supplanting Deion, DeAndre Overton, like guys like that. Derek Kendrick, I can go down the list, but a lot of a lot of guys on the offensive line, they're getting valuable, valuable minutes, valuable snaps that they, they absolutely needed. Yeah, well, I mean, speaking to the cornerbacks in particular, you know, Mullen had the ankle injury last game. He was very limited in this game. So, you know, between him being in, injured and Mark Fields not being able to catch the damn ball, you see how thin we are at the cornerback position. So, it, yeah, again, this is not for next year. This is for this year. Agreed, and, and it's it was good. It's good seeing those guys, the McMichaels, the the Mario Goodrich. I mean, Goodrich was in there a lot. I think a lot more than we saw him so far. But listen, this is what it looks like. Uh, well, playing Wake Forest, that's what it looks like to not have depth on your football team. Uh, they were missing like their top middle linebacker, several other linebackers. Uh, one of their veteran safeties was ejected for targeting early in this game. And, and, you know, everything just, just went to hell after that. And that's why you saw a lot of those times ETN or choice or Lynn J Dixon get into that second level of the defense. And there was absolutely nobody there. And it's because, you know, again, Wake Forest is a good, uh, FBS team, right? And they have decent frontline players who by themselves can, you know, will, would not lose by 60 points to Clemson. But once you start chipping away, um, and you start getting into their two deep and, and, you know, not to mention the three deep, there's just nobody there. So this, that's what it looks like to not have depth on your football team. On the flip side of that, using 56 players in the first quarter and being able to, well, number one, we went what three series without scoring was still putting 56 guys in there and we end up winning by 60 points. That's the epitome of depth. Yeah, I think. All across the lineup, I mean, it, it looked good. And I, 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 the, the ones that stood out were primarily to me around the defense, uh, guys on the defensive line like Dallas Pinkney, who's coming along. Jordan Williams is getting back to good health. He'll have another week to rest. So, and, and of course, Xavier Thomas just keeps getting better and better. And he's he's doing things. I mean, I wonder if we could play him at linebacker. I mean, I think we could play him at safety at this point if, if in, in a pinch. Yeah, I mean, he has elite speed. Um, you saw him in there early again. and this, He's going to be a guy that you're going to see a lot more um, as the season goes on and early and often. Uh, you saw the Indy package uh, again in this game. That's with Austin Bryant, Cleveland Farrell, uh, Christian Wilkins, and Xavier Thomas out there on the field at the same time. And between all the things Xavier Thomas can do, whether he's beating his man around the end or a play is slow to develop and he comes chasing it down from the backside, the guy's a freak. Yeah, you saw him redirect on that one play, and it's just it's it's like wow. Uh, I can't remember if that was uh, like some type of read option, uh, but he just he had to he he just basically had both guys and, and he was able to move like that in space. And like linebackers don't move like that, so to see to say. XT be able to, to do that. It's like, wow, he's, he's only going to get better from here. So, and then you had on the, on the other side, you had uh, KJ Henry, who he's, he's more developmental, but just getting him these reps, like, he, I think we're going to have a nice four, nice four horsemen at, at, uh, at defensive end next year. And that includes Justin Foster and, and Logan Rudolph. Yeah. And listen, between Niles Pickney and Jordan Williams, 
uh, on the inside there. Um, I think in that's, addition that's to- Wake Forest depth there at defensive tackle, but you know that's yeah. we'll, we'll save that till next year. I know we're concerned about all the guys we're losing across the defensive line next year, but uh, <laughs> the defensive line next year is shaping up to be pretty damn good. Yeah, at least the at least the first string. Um, but no, I, I think one of my takeaways, if we could flip it to Trevor Lawrence, was that for one, I think he was a little bit injured. Or I mean, you saw him leaving the Syracuse game, and you could just see the little birds. You could see the stars just right above his head. The dude was concussed, and to me, that's no, something. I'm sorry, that was a that was a neck strain, Cody. <laughs> it could have been both, and maybe that would explain his lack of. Uh, peripherals uh peripherals uh, in terms of his vision and not be able to see some of that pressure coming but i mean to me it's like he's already he's already kind of uh having issues i don't, I don't want to say issues like any freshman would have these issues so i don't want to say that's like a problem that can't be that he can't rectify over time but he is having he is having issues like scanning the field seeing his his options his his reads his progressions and then and then going through his reads and seeing seeing like backside pressure or, uh, or seeing if the defense is biting on a, on a zone read. And to me, if you're, you don't have a full week to, to be mentally sharp as a quarterback, especially in your first year, you're just, you're going to come out looking, looking sloppy. And I think that's what we saw today. So I wouldn't take too much from it. The whole narratives about, uh, about Kelly Bryant should have stayed. He would have already won the job back, you know, maybe so, but I think the best guy uh, that gives us the, still that gives us the chance to best chance to win a championship. He's, he's starting at quarterback. Yeah, just because Callie Bryant would have won the job back doesn't mean he would have held it for the rest of the year. So, yeah, and listen, I mean, all all um, legitimate gripes on Trevor Lawrence. I mean, he, again, he's still a freshman. He missed some easy checkdowns in this game. Um, he, he, he struggles on third down sometimes. The The team was only 5 of 15 on third downs. Um, he has trouble feeling pressure and avoiding the rush at times. Uh, but, you know, still led us to victory and still had a pretty damn good game overall. And to your point though, the bye week really comes at a good time. For him, for uh, like, like you said, Mullen, there's, there's quite a few injuries uh, kind of across the board. Uh, the other takeaway though was, and everyone talked about this going in, we talked about it last week. Would we establish the run game? And we didn't in the first three drives and where everyone's wondering like what the heck's going on. And there's, there's a point where you're like the, the angry mob on Twitter and elsewhere in the Clemson sphere is actually smarter than the offensive coordinator right now. And I believe they were, and I believe that was proven to be true. You saw some people writing about uh, the coaches wanted to, they knew they had the run game that was always going to be in their back pocket. They could go to it whenever they wanted. I, I don't, I, I saw QT wrote the article. He, he doesn't buy that. I, I don't, I didn't buy it either. I think it was just a, I think it was again just a, a faulty game plan and not realizing, hey, we are we are a running team. That is our identity. Well, uh, to be fair, um, you know a lot of these scripted plays to start the game were called runs and they were checked down the screens based on what the defense was showing. Well, they, so that's a call made by Trevor Lawrence reading the defense. Well, there were a lot of plays that I, I really don't mind. They're they're kind of an extension of our run game when you talk about these screens or the checkdowns. One being a, a drop pass from Etienne. I mean, th- those things are, I'm still okay with, with running those, uh, to, to go to those. It was the, uh, at some point, it's like, just give, give ETN the dive, a gap, run. At least give it to him the first play of the game, and then let's go from there. Yeah, and then the, was it the first play of the fourth drive that was ETN breaking for 70 yards? Uh, yeah, it was the third, I think it was the th- or the fourth drive we finally scored on, I believe. Um 
ETN had the, or maybe it was the third. ETN had the drop pass on the on the first drive. Trevor Lawrence had the fumble on the second drive. Um, that that that's the one where uh, Trevor Lawrence went down with a leg injury. So, yeah, it was a little shaky at first. Uh, but you know, once we started handing the ball off, and you saw the offense and the offensive line really established the run game there. And again, we mentioned that all of Wake Forest injuries they really. Uh, it didn't have a shot all day long. I mean, there was nobody in the second level of the defense all day long when we were running the ball. Yeah, it was good for Etienne to pad his stats, and I think he's come on. He is on the radar. He's on the Heisman radar, the the honorable mentions list at least right now, and he deserves every bit of it. There certainly is a a political part of it because if we were marketing him, and it's fine that we don't. I'm not saying that we should, but he would be up higher. But it's I'm glad that he had to pad some of those stats. And uh, he's going to have more opportunities going forward. But you could see by the end of the game, uh, Wake Forest is getting really tired. And when Lynn J. Dixon, you know, your, your freshman that hasn't played all game can come in and torch you for 160 yards, you know that's a, that's a, a tired and, like you said, a depthless defense. Well, I'll, I'll do you one better. When Adam Choice gets 128 <laughs> yards and averages 12.8 yards a carry and has a 64-yard TD run, Mr. goes down on first contact every time, and if he doesn't, the field trips him up. Uh, I, I was watching him on that 64-yard run. Everybody was getting excited, and I was like, nope, 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 wait until he crosses the goal line because he has a tendency to just fall down. But, uh, yeah, I mean, what a fantastic day by, by all the running backs. Between ETN, uh, Dixon, and Choice, over 100 yards apiece. We had, what, over 400 yards, 471 rushing yards on the day, a school record 11.8 yards a carry. So, I mean, you can't complain about any of that. And, you know, at this point in the year, talking about the play calling, listen, I'm going to give these guys the benefit of the doubt. And, and until we're in a, a high-stress situation and the play calls start becoming suspect, I'm not going to bother myself too much with worrying about it anymore because I'm, at, at this point... I've accepted the fact that Dabo and this team does things differently, playing so many guys early in close games and then trying some different things out on offense when you know you have the opposing team so overmatched that, again, these coaches have a good gauge of, of, of who their competition is. So uh, I'm, I'm giving the benefit of the doubt at this point until I really start seeing this team uh, not performing the way it should um, and overmatching opponents that they should. Um, again, I gave him a little bit of passing in Syracuse, thinking Syracuse is a good football team. Of course, Syracuse goes and loses uh, to Pitt over the weekend. But, um, yeah, that's the way it is. Dabo does, th does things differently. And, I mean, what, you know, all the things you can say, one thing you know you can say for certain is that they have been consistent throughout all of this. They're going to play a lot of guys, and the offensive play calling is going to try things out. They're not going to necessarily lean on the run from the get-go. Yeah, so, like, if we if we look at – some of the overrated and it's not overrated. There's been some of that, but the, the Desmond Howards of the world that these national guys that seem to just still get into the, the crawl of, of, of Clemson fans everywhere. I, I would just say like, kind of what to your point, even though I'm, I'm the one that's, that's venting here, or have my gripes about the play calling. Um, but there were mostly like 99% positives from this game in my, in my opinion, there's, there's definitely some things we have to work on, and, and Trevor Lawrence has to get to good to good health quickly. But the whole, like, the lazy takes, you know, I'm just so used to him at this point by national guys. Yeah, um, but, but speaking of Desmond Howard's comments, I mean, 
I kind of agree with him. It's not like we're we're grounding and pounding guys. It's not like our running backs are running over people all day with a with a power running game. No, there just wasn't any defenders there to stop him. Well, that was well, he made the comment before the Wake Forest game. So right. So, but I'm saying that like this this game is not an example, nor anything else we do. We we don't line up you know, an H back and a full back in the backfield and send them both up the hole and, and try to just run over teams, bowl over teams like Derrick Henry has done it at Alabama and stuff like that. It's, it can be, you can be finesse and be successful. I mean, can we? Yeah, yeah you're, no, you're exactly right. Well, we, we do that. It's intentional. It's called a spread offense. Like Desmond Howard, have you ever heard of it? I mean, like, seriously, you've been doing this for 10 years. I mean, that's why yes, no one's no one likes ESPN anymore because you don't know anything. You don't know the difference between a pro style and a and a spread offense. The, the, the idea is to create isn't to ground and pound. It's to create uh, spacing. So we but I think part of that was what you he out. was saying, and he wasn't necessarily saying there was a part with the finesse part of it. You know, what we could use some finesse in is our pass blocking. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, we've, we've toughened up. I mean, so that's the thing. Like he, I, he, he didn't know what he was saying and he's, and again, he's a professional. He does this professionally and he was just going through, kind of going through the motions and he, he, I don't even think he meant finesse in a negative connotation. He just went straight to the whole quarterback thing is going to backfire. Like, like, dude, are you like? Th- there's one of five teams that's contending for a championship. Like, do some homework. And he doesn't know who, like, doesn't know who Jeff Scott is. You don't know who one of the offensive. He knows. He knows who Jeff Scott is. Uh, that he's he's talking to the larger football audience uh, with that one. But anyways, let's not dwell too much on what Desmond Howard has to say. He hasn't played football in 25 years. Um, my, my gripe is more with just national like commentators all together. I don't care about the end of it. And like, there's, there's a lot of things you can critique this Clemson team about, uh, but finesse, I don't know. A lot of things to choose from. I, again, I don't even care if you call it finesse when you win in by 60 points, I'll, whatever you want to call it, you win by 60 points. Um, so let's, let's focus back on Wake Forest here and wrap it up a little bit. Uh, we, we talked about the running backs. Uh, where you, you have seen a lot of physicality is in the wide receivers, specifically T. Higgins and Justin Ross. They have been uh, incredibly physical um, on screens and blocking down the field. And so that's really a sight for sore eyes. I'm telling you, it opens so much up. It's part of the reason uh, that, that the running game has, has had so many yards and that it's it's been an elite running attack so far. And it's like that is going to be the difference. If we're going to develop an identity, at least in the short term, it's going to have to start with running the ball. And like, and ETN is the other part of that equation. Um, I mean, would you call it finesse uh, on the fourth touchdown on the pass of T. Higgins, where he just uh, the guy just runs into him, loses his helmet, and and doesn't Higgins doesn't even budge? I mean, I don't think so. It, it is good to see throughout the throughout the line. I mean, down the line, perimeter blocking improving, and and also I, I did see Garrett Williams on. Well, obviously he's starting now, and you're seeing him on more series. Well, um, he 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 sprung the ETN run, the first touchdown of the game with the lead block. Right, we've been preaching about that here on the on the pod, and like we've got to get Garrett in, Garrett Williams in there, and like you said, he was listed as an H back last week. So point being, whatever you want to call it, if you want to call it finesse, we'll take it based on what we saw in the field it's on Saturday. Smash, it's called a smash mouth spread. Is what it is. It's called winning, and that's what Dabo and this team has uh, shown the propensity to do over the last several years, so we'll take it. Um, but before we move off of this game here, we'd be remiss not to, uh, to, to talk about 
the, the greatest, possibly the greatest Clemson player of all time, Hunter Rimfro. Jack of all trades, utility man, can do everything, doesn't just do everything average. He does a lot of things great. He punted for over 40 yards. Um, probably the best blocking quarterback I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it was amazing when he's – by the way, I told you he would not look like a deer in headlights. There was nothing about him that looked nervous or like same poise as when, he, as, as when he's playing wide receiver. And then, like you said, he gets out ahead of, of – uh, I guess it was Dixon at that point and makes the lead block. Yeah, he was racing down the field. That was <laughs> that was pretty hilarious watching in real time. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know why you would have a deer in headlights look up 53 points against that Wake Forest defense. Um, maybe a different story if we're playing against a more formidable opponent at that point. Um, yeah, the, la- the last thing I'll say here is you know, we do have some question marks here. There are some issues, um, specifically across the offensive line of the offense. Right guard is our biggest issue right now. Kate Stewart did not have a particularly good day. Um, he- he's multiple blown assignments, and that has the potential to get your quarterback hurt. Um, he had that black, uh, that, sorry, that block in the back on a big ETN game turned out really not to be an issue, but we really have to here in the bye week the, the coaches really have to find a solution there. I think so. And it, it, this is one of the, probably the more less touched storylines of the year is, is Sean Pollard, who we thought who was a starter as a freshman in a national championship game that we won. And here he is as a junior moving into guard and it's not. It's not his run blocking, or it, it's his pass blocking as a guard. I mean, you think moving from tackle, you would have the the, per, the the requisite speed, lateral quickness to function there, and you would worry more about run blocking. But that hasn't been the case. And and Cade Stewart, you know, he'll be he'll be fine in a pinch, um, but you don't want him guarding some of the better defensive linemen that can, especially in pass protection. I mean, he's he again, he's a, he's a backup, and he's he's good, he's serviceable. But you need Pollard in there, and I can't help but wonder if that if there's an injury, if there's something to it. But the answer's yeah, on this roster, and it's just a matter of maybe it's getting back to good health. And he's facing better defensive line talent in practice than he is on game day. Yeah, well, we've seen the spring games. Like they say, like they're not really getting ready for other teams as much as just getting dominated in practice. Like let's call a spade a spade. Um, yeah, so. That's probably about as much as we can say about this game. I, I do want to mention Chase Bryce probably has thrown the, the, the prettiest fade passes we've seen all year, especially that one to uh, DeAndre Overton. But um, I, I will say when Trevor Lawrence looked like he went down there for a second, I, I really felt positive the running game was going to come back and actually felt like we had a good chance there with uh, Chase Bryce based on what we saw last week. So it is good. Um, it is comforting. But again, against better competition, that may not be the case. Um yeah, so that, that, that wraps it up for our Wake Forest review. Uh, defense, absolutely spectacular in this game. The offense, after a slow start, really gets it going. And again, the, the, the stats and the rushing yards speak for themselves. Uh, just what a sight for sore eyes, and I think something that we really needed and leaves a good taste in our mouth heading into the bye week um, and then looking onward to NC State after that. So with that, that wraps it up for the Wake Forest review. Now let's move on to our midseason review. Okay, Cody, I think we both had us losing maybe one game during the regular season. I can't quite recall, but based on what you remember of your expectations leading into the year and based on where we are now, 
How does that compare? Did you envision us being here with Trevor Lawrence as the starter? Obviously, you did not envision uh, this as a team without Kelly Bryant. But otherwise, how did it shake out based on your uh, compared to your expectations? Well, I definitely think if, if we'll say if we're I thought we'd be somewhere in like the 97th, 98th percentile. Uh, and I think we're some something close to the 90, 90th percentile. And I, I don't know based off of what percentiles, but um, it's it's definitely below my expectations. There's holes that I, I on the roster that I didn't account for. Uh, Trevor Lawrence has not come along, and there's been – I'm giving him all the benefit of the doubt here, so bear with me, but he hasn't been quite as um, unbelievably amazing as I thought he would be. So because of that, there's a little bit of deficit. Hey, we're 6-0. I mean, that's that's great. Can't complain there. But even the ACC is down uh, more so than I thought. And I didn't have very high expectations there at all. Um, but still, like it still like looks like a, a pretty daunting task given what we saw at Syracuse to, to march through the ACC and finish this off. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the moral of the story is, and, and we kind of preface this every time we go into a season, we give, their, uh, give our predictions. Uh, we always go with the, the disclaimer that this is assuming that there's no injuries. Uh, and certainly assuming that there's no defections uh, with one of your top two quarterbacks during the middle of the season. So it's really hard to compare what our predictions were uh, compared to where we're at right now. But it certainly did not. I'm, I mentioned it was a possibility of, of Kelly Bryant leaving. Um, I wasn't certain that would happen if he got replaced after four games. But lo and behold, it does turn out that way. And then you have the injury to Trevor Lawrence. And you know nobody was would have seen Chase Bryce coming in there against the Syracuse team that we lost against last year and was struggling against this year uh, to come in and, and take over that game and win. But all that said, I think you got to feel really comfortable and positive where Clemson is right now as a team. Now, obviously, you want to see more out of some certain areas. The offensive line is is certainly a concern, especially in the pass blocking, although the running the running game has picked it up. I'm really excited what I see out of these running backs, um, especially ETN, but Feasters looked a lot better. Lynn J. Dixon has been a huge surprise, and Adam, Adam Choice is you know solid as usual. The wide receivers are as good as advertised. The quarterback position, Trevor Lawrence is still a damn good quarterback, probably our best option to lead this team for the rest of the year, whether or not Kelly Bryant's on the on the roster so you can see it with him especially in his arm you know he's he his downfield passing and what he's able to do there opens up so much more in the offense so on the offensive side of the ball um obviously some holes to fill but um i'm still positive about our outlook there uh, we're scoring over 40 points a game which is huge um and then on the defensive side of the ball listen the line is as good as we could have expected it to be the linebackers Depth is a bit of a concern, and just out of the starters, period, there is um, there are some weaknesses there in, in getting out in pass coverage. Uh, but really, I think the biggest issue right now that we still have concern about, and, and, and partly because we haven't really played many passing teams, we played three triple option teams, is the secondary. Uh, the starting cornerbacks and even going too deep with Mark Fields, you feel really positive about, but still with Mario Goodrich and Kyler McMichael, uh, we've seen some flashes out of them, but they haven't really been tested yet. And then the safeties um, with, with, you know, Tanner Muse has actually been playing a lot better. Um, he had the interception in the Wake Forest game and he's been stuffing the the, the holes in the running game. Um, but we really haven't seen those guys get tested yet. Um, him and Kevon Wallace there on the back end. So I, I think we're going to see that we're coming up against NC state. I think that's going to be probably our biggest passing threat um, out of anybody in our remaining regular season schedule. 
We, 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 they, they got tested by Mon a little bit by Dungey. So, I mean, they, there were some tests that I, don't, I wouldn't say they passed with flying colors. Well, but you, you even you even mentioned this. I think the, the Mond experience comes with a caveat because he was running around for so long. It's hard to keep coverage on guys, you know, for, you know, for as long as Mond was out there running around. Now, if you have a, a, a drop-back passer, I think what we're going to see out of Finley, um, who is going to want to get the ball out a lot quicker and is not going to scramble as much, I think that's really when we're going to see the test for those guys and in, then in, in the secondary back into the defense. Agreed there. And then the, the other part is Isaiah Simmons. If you want to lump him in with the safeties, he's been, he hasn't lived up to expectations athletically. Like, yeah, that shows up no big surprise, but in order to have the instincts and to, to have a good sense of things, taking, taking the right angles, having, you know, not being fooled by the different, uh, gimmicks thrown at you by the offense uh, it's been a little a little slow so that that unbelievable athleticism speed is is neutralized to some degree because he's just he's out of position he's taking a bad angle um so that that's another part of it but like you said um there will be some more tests um if i going back to the offense though like the one the one um important thing that i take away we talked about a lot this a lot last year was our offense was very mediocre or I shouldn't say mediocre they were good they were good at a lot of things but they weren't great at one thing and that's what we always talked about in order to beat elite teams you have to be you have to be great at one thing so, something that where you can you you always have an, a mismatch or an advantage and it didn't exist last year you, you, we were just we weren't going to beat teams to death with six and seven yard slants all game long to Hunter Renfro just wasn't didn't work against Alabama this year for, for better or worse we've had to go to the run game and it's it's been it's been shaky. Uh, we've been, we've done it reluctantly, um, but at least there's something that's starting to develop within this team that can be kind of the core of your offense, and then you can build off of that. And like you said a little bit earlier, Trevor Lawrence is opening up the run game, just his presence, and in, in, in a lot of the I guess casual fans aren't giving him proper credit for that. Well, and I think that's kind of the irony in it all is as we shift becoming more of a run first team, it's because we have a vertical passing threat. And maybe that's not irony to people who actually know football. Um, that's just how it works, right? Um, but again, that's what that threat of being able to stretch the field vertically, it allows you to open up the running game because opposing defenses can't stack the box. That's part of it. I mean, there's that, there's Etienne, and then there's uh, there's the fact that we were scared to death at this point to go to the pass. Uh, but but the other part is, like you said earlier. But you say that because, because mainly because we can't block for Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, yeah, you're worried every play, uh, you're holding your breath. Um, and then the other part, though, he's, he's got to start developing that internal clock. Unfortunately, it's shorter than you'd like it to be. When you're playing a team like Wake Forest or Syracuse, you shouldn't have to worry about your, your quarterback's health uh, when you go into pass passing downs. But um, so that, yeah, that's, that's a huge and huge issue issue, but at least there is some toughness on the, on the running plays and they can, they can develop their identity there, start to uh, incorporate pace, develop some, some identity, look at some tape during this, uh, this uh, off week. And, and hopefully once they come to good health, start layering, let that be your foundation and then, and then building out from there. But if you look at the offensive, uh, if you look at the S and P ratings, this is a very complete team. We, you and I talked about where the offense would need to be preseason. S and P wise, and I think we set the over and under at fifteen, and both of you are both and a half. Did did we? I know I said I think we'll be over, but just barely, and I believe you agreed. Um, we're actually at ten. We're at ten. That's that's really good. And then it, our defense is a little behind at four, um, but I, I suspect they'll they'll keep moving. They'll inch up as we go. 
So it, some uh, yeah. So some interesting numbers here. Uh, I'm kind of going back to we had some predictions for both the offense and defense. While we're on the offense here, I'll bring that up. You know, we set the over under at points a game at 36 and a half. We're at 42. That's that's more than we had with Deshaun Watson's last year. Uh, right now, and again, we have uh, kind of two cupcakes. Well, crap, they're almost all cupcakes at this point. Um, Syracuse and Texas A&M notwithstanding. 42 points a game, that's a positive. TD passes, uh, 2017 as a team, only had 17 TD passes, 13 of those by Kelly Bryant. We're up to 14 already halfway through the season, so that's a major improvement over last year. Um, so I think when you look at the number, as numbers and statistics, it's looking like the offense is actually performing, performing better than we thought they were going to. Yeah, it just, it hasn't been as, I don't want to say pretty, hasn't been as workmanlike though. That was, that was something that Kelly Bryant did bring you. He was a kind of the model of consistency. You know, you're going to get three yards every play, it's going to be hard working that fifth, fourth or fifth yard, but he'll get you the three yards and try to keep you ahead of schedule. But I think it's what it comes down into is there has been more explosive plays. And we talk about high variance, um, creating high variance in those explosive plays as, as being a huge indicator of winning football, the number one in, uh, indicator of winning football. So even if it's ugly, at least we can get to those, whether the, it's through the through ETN in the, in the running game or if it's through Trevor Lawrence and, and some of those big bodied wide receivers that, that had come onto the scene that weren't that really weren't around last year. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about those big bodies um, at, out there at the nine position, uh, you know, between Justin Ross, T. Higgins and DeAndre Overton, they account for, I think, 13 of the 14 TD passes, Ross with four. Higgins with three, and then DeAndre Overton with three as well. So, so yeah, the explosive plays really have been there. Um, we also set another line for Travis Etienne uh, of how many runs he would have, 50-plus yards on the year. We set the over-under at five and a half. He's sitting here at two right now, so he has some work to do um, to get above that five and a half where we set the line. But guess who leads the team, Cody, in uh, rushes of 50 yards or more? It's got to be Lynn J. Dixon. I think he's like two in the country in yards per carry. Is that right? Lynn J. Dixon with three runs of over 50 yards. Uh, yeah, I, I think he and he, ha- he actually qualifies for this statistic um, in yards per carry based on the amount of touches. I think he just passed it in this game. He's second nationally, actually, at a little over 11 yards a rush, which is absolutely phenomenal. Now, granted, he's in there late in the game when defenses or opposing defenses have already been worn down, but but still, got to love what you've seen out of him at this point. Uh, so flipping over to the defensive side of the ball, uh, like you mentioned, we're number four in the S&P right now, giving up 14.5 points a game. No shutouts on the year. We've had some close calls and you know several points given up in garbage time there. Um, Cleveland Farrell leads uh, the team with six sacks. So, I mean, I, I think at this point, especially with all the guys that we've been subbing in and out, you got to be happy with what you've seen from the defense. I think so. I mean, and, and I'm, I've been particularly happy with the defensive line. I mean, that might, might sound crazy, but man, they could really have just folded in in a few of these games, but they didn't. They're, they're playing hard. And like uh, for Wake Forest in particular, they were, they were able to move the ball really well against Notre Dame. And Notre Dame's got the, the fifth, fifth ranked S&P rating uh, overall. So on defense. So they were able to make make some get some yardage, get some chunk plays against against the Irish. Um, that didn't exist. I mean, they, they they couldn't even get started. I think what was it for the first quarter? They had negative yards. So I, I've been really pleased with this defensive line. I think it'll get better. 
as you said, once you start going to your, your ones and then twos as needed, and that's what we'll do. That's how we'll migrate to probably uh, towards the South Carolina game. Uh, you won't see as many rotations and uh, overall the product will get better. So midseason MVPs, who do you have right now for the offense? The offense, I'm going to go ET. I mean, it's pretty easy. If, if I could give a number two guy, it'd probably be Kelly Bryant. If that's allowed. A little tongue in cheek there, Jab. I thought we weren't talking about him anymore. Uh, so, yeah, I think I have to go ET in there as well. Um, I also think T Higgins there on the outside has made a big impact um, at, at, at the nine man position, you know, an upgrade over, I think Dion Kane from last year. Um, how about on the defense side of the ball? I think, I think that's Christian Wilkins. He's just Cleveland Farrell would have a chance and Dexter Lawrence would be right there. But uh, Wilkins has been able to, because he's so close to the quarterback, he's getting to him so quickly. I think he's been the one guy and he's brought probably a little bit more energy than anyone else. Cause the dude's just having fun. Yeah, I, I think on a defense, and especially a defensive line, and especially having played uh, three option teams, so half your schedule is, is teams that are just going to run the ball, um, that you have to look to that defensive line. And just because we have played so many guys, that Christian Wilkins is the easy one to point out there, just because of everything he does and his leadership skills and his attitude. I'm going to be very interested over the second half of the season. i I think AJ Terrell has played really well so far this year. And as we start uh, playing some more pass oriented teams and how thin we are at cornerback there, and we want to leave our cornerbacks out on the Island. I really look to him to make a uh, big impact. I think so. And part of that too, let's give Mullen a, a little bit of credit. Um, granted, like you sure. said, we have, we've only faced like what two passing teams, teams that are actually willing to pass. So, but they're not willing to pass it to his side. They're, they'd rather they opt to, to pick on AJ Terrell and, and I, I think that it's kind of like the Cordero Tankersley of 2015 when you had Mac Alexander opposite him. So that's part of it. So yeah, you're right. He, that's not a bad a bad candidate to a, a guy to pick. Um, I'll, I'll go with Tanner Muse just because that that the weak side safety it, it becomes such a, a pivotal position in our in our defense where teams will look to exploit Venable's aggression. And if you don't have the guy who's, who's willing to keep his eyes in the right places and, and, and to sniff out certain things that are being thrown at him, you, you quickly have, have O.J. Howard you know, going in for six. So I look for him. I, th- I think he had a pretty solid year last year, something to build on. And uh, he, he's kind of my guy I'm, I'm looking for for the rest of the year. Okay, so moving forward, uh, let's, again, reset this season. Um, predict, take, you know, Let's provide an outlook of where we think this team's going to go, what their, where their ceiling is. I think, first off, just looking at our schedule and looking how weak the ACC is and just how much sheer talent this Clemson team has, and they're only going to go get better just because of how many young guys we've been playing, um, I think it's a no-brainer that we would have us going on to win the ACC, right? I think so. I mean, I mean anything short of that would be a huge disappointment. The probability is something like thirty three percent. That we, if if you would have told me at the beginning of the year we'll we'll be six and zero, but you'll only have a thirty three percent probability of finishing undefeated. I would say what has gone wrong, um, aside from the fact that we, um, I mean we are undefeated, uh, but it, it seems like a a letdown game is more likely um, than I would have suspected coming in. So based on the rest of our regular season schedule, who would you be the most concerned about right now? Without looking at the ACC championship game, I think 
it's somewhere it's even Florida State. I know people are going to say, oh, they're horrible, but man, they're really going to get up. Uh, they're playing in Tallahassee. Taggart really needs a kind of that hallmark win. He almost had it against Miami. So that's kind of the kitchen sink for them. South Carolina does not worry me as much because it's at home and we know our guys will get up for that one. Um, and then maybe Boston College. Um, not not to discount NC State. Who who do you have? See, I think I'm looking at NC State just because they you know, they tend to always give us a tough game, and I think they are going to stretch our defense in the secondary there. So and we will be rested coming off two weeks. They are an undefeated team. Um, I think probably the key to that game and the difference between us winning and losing is whether or not Dave Dorn allows Dabo to have a laptop on the sidelines. It's been our secret sauce, um, and damn it if David Dorn didn't point that out last year. Um, but might have might have won a national championship. <laughs> it's kind of like Sammy Sosa after he couldn't cork his bat. So um, I'm really have, worried about that. Can we have iPads? I think so, but David Dorn probably can't distinguish between the two. So no laptops, no PCs. Um, yeah, what if they just brought a, a tower PC out there on the sideline with a separate monitor and? scanner just all the bells and whistles speakers you have to plug in um that really level the playing field um but yeah i, I think i gotta pick nc state there um and then looking over to the the acc coastal who do you think has would have the best chance of upending Clint? well first who do you think is going to make it out of that division into the acc championship game and then who do you think has the best uh, shot of topping clemson well, in full disclosure, that's that's been the what is that the worst league in college football? So that, that hasn't really captured a lot of my attention this year. I think it's the worst division in high school football. <laughs> IMG would probably give a couple teams a run for their money, but you know what? Miami is still a, a, a really talented team. Uh, they almost lost Florida State, but up front they're gonna they're gonna have some things for Clemson where they could they could get after our, our passer. And uh, if Syracuse and Wake Forest can do it, certainly they can. So you do have to keep an eye on them. Uh, Virginia Tech is better than that loss, uh, but they better they're better than they were that night in Old Dominion. We'll say, um, but Clemson should, with without playing their with playing their B game, should be able to roll by both of those teams. Yeah, you know we saw the Old Dominion loss, and I, I think I've seen enough now uh, with them losing to Notre Dame at home as well. They don't scare me, and I so I certainly think that, that Miami is coming out of that side of the, the conference and quite honestly they don't scare me either um considering what we did to them last year in the acc cha- championship game um all right so moving forward looking into the playoff where do you think how do you think clemson stacks up against playoff caliber teams let's let's kind of alabama aside i think we could both agree right now that what we've seen out of clemson on the field could not even uh, up to this point would not even come close to touching what Alabama has done. Now let's see Clemson on the field with their first teamers playing most of the game, but you know, teams like Ohio state and Georgia, you know, me personally, I think we go to toe to toe with any of those teams right now. And I'd give us a 75, 80% chance of beating them. And I, I certainly think we would go toe to toe with them. Don't forget, you know, against A&M who is a solid top 25 team, like for two and a half quarters, I would say, you know, we look like maybe the second best team in the nation, maybe the second, third, fourth best team in the nation, solidly. Um, it's just been some things that have, there's some crazy stuff that not many teams have to deal with uh, throughout the course of a, of a season that I think have impacted maybe the, the, the perception of the team. But if we did play Georgia, if we played Ohio State, um, and I'm not even going to lump in Alabama, just kind of the, the second tier of teams that where I think we're somewhere uh, in that mix. 
I, I think it's really it's a 50-50 game. I, I agree agree with your point about playing the first teamers, but those teams have looked more polished. They've they've played cleaner games. Um, their coaching has been better, and I think that's illustrated by the fact that you're seeing a guy like Dwayne Haskins as a starter. You're seeing his talents be uh, being uh, used uh, used in a better in a better way. Um, so, and, and, and you're seeing uh, the, the advancement of, of my man at Georgia, the quarterback, Jake Fromm. So, uh, I would say they're a little bit better than us, but I think ultimately our upsides is, is, is much larger. Yeah. And then our path to the playoff got a little bit easier, uh, over this past weekend with LSU going down to Florida and then Oklahoma going down to Texas. Um, Auburn loses to a Mississippi state team. So a, a lot of these guys vying, or a lot of these teams vying for the same position in the top four are starting to fall by the wayside. So really, you're now you're looking at probably the five most serious contenders right now being Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and Clemson. Uh, Notre Dame kind of being the wild card there. Probably done with the toughest part of their schedule. I know they still have to go to, to Southern Cal, but Southern Cal is not a, not a great football team this year. So... It'll be really interesting to see. I think Clemson obviously controls their own destiny, and you hear a lot of the talk about um, one-loss teams getting in, and you know maybe two SEC teams getting in, and how does Notre Dame being in the mix affect things? But I don't see any way in the world how an undefeated Clemson ACC championship football team gets left out of the college football playoff. I think if anything, that Notre Dame would make their way in over two SEC teams making it. I mean, I really, really think this is something we have to consider. I mean, we've, we've done this in the past where we're like, hey, being undefeated, there's still a judgment call. There could potentially be five teams with Notre Dame. But we've always seen it by the end of the year, things will work themselves out. There, there will be some losses. But, man, the, the, the top of the, the cream of the crop is, 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 has risen, and I think they're a little bit better this year. Uh, whereas I think what would, the, what would be your, your third tier, fourth tier teams, uh, I'm not really seeing it in, in certain other conferences. So I think like what you said, it's going to come down to there they're very, they're very well could be five teams that would be uh, undefeated, of course, with the really four teams with a the, with the tiebreaker being the SEC championship game. But that would be the only way I could see. Uh, I, I couldn't see it. Like you said, I agree with you. I, I could not see an SEC one, one loss non-champion getting in over Clemson as an ACC champion. No, and again, I think we get the benefit of the doubt. And we've got one trump card, as, and we haven't played it yet. Clemson hasn't, that is. Uh, going to the college football playoff three years in a row, playing the national championship game twice, winning it once. You go undefeated, you win your conference, you get the benefit of the doubt, you get locked in there. Again, Clemson gets one trump card. Alabama gets the trump cards. These other elite teams get the trump card. We finally get a trump card. Do we have to play it this year? I don't think so. Seeing the Pac-12, for all intents and purposes, have already played themselves out. Everybody has one loss except for Colorado there, and I guarantee you Colorado is going to have a loss. They have a loss on their schedule um, You know, for the remainder of the year. They go to Washington, so that's the most likely one, but I can definitely see more than one popping up there. The Big 12, once again, um, kind of shoots themselves in the foot. Cannibalism there. Texas beating Oklahoma. That was their best shot to get somebody in. Yeah, uh, West Virginia is still undefeated, but I don't have confidence in them going undefeated for the rest of the year. So that knocks out uh, two of the Power 5 conferences, leaving three. So Clemson winning out, I think you feel very confident that uh, we end up in the college football playoff should that happen. Well, the, the part you mentioned, the trump card, and th- th- there's some truth to that, and you saw it last year with with uh, 
with with Bama uh, get, getting in as a as not even not even winning their division. Sure, there there is bias, but I, I think their goal is to remove that bias. And if to me, if you're just kicking the can and and you know piddle paddling through games, barely beating Syracuse's of the world, um, skating by uh, um, to, you know AM solid win, but skating by games like that where you should be blowing teams out. Meanwhile, you have Georgia. Like we'll see, use them as an example, and they're beating teams, good, you know, decent SEC teams by 30, 40 points a game. They they lose a, a close one to Bama. I mean, you can argue all day about the conference championship part of it, but I don't feel like that makes us more deserving than Georgia. So, like, yeah. see, I I beg to differ. And this is a very different situation where that it was last year. Um, with, with Alabama and Georgia going, Alabama obviously not getting into the SEC championship game last year, paving the path for them to get in. They didn't lose in that SEC championship game. The way it's different this year is Alabama is very unlikely to lose based on what we've seen with Tua's quarterback. Georgia um, most likely going to be in the SEC championship game against them. That is a de facto playoff game. There is n- There is no valid argument that I think that you can make. If there's actually in, yeah there's a very good valid argument. No, I don't it's it's the playoff. Once two teams play each other head to head, the winner is better, they move on. Well, you're working with the faulty set of premises. For one, it's not the playoff. That's completely wrong. That's it's wrong. Uh the it's other your part, last point of reference and one team beat the other. The, the logic of it is is quite simple. You try to get the four best teams in and that might mean leaving a conference championship out. If you're if you're upset with the process, that's fine. Say I don't like the process. I want to be I want the conference championships to be a de facto play in game. But if you want to well, no, they're, they're not going to be every time. It, but in this case what I'm saying is it and my example was pretty like one of of an extreme of sorts of if if Georgia just rakes teams the whole year as it's kind of like what they've been doing right now and Clemson keeps playing to this playing down to their opponents barely getting past the Syracuses uh we'll say the the South Carolinas the NC states of the world uh the Florida states do you really feel good about like letting like, keeping Georgia out and letting Clemson in I mean if yeah, you want Georgia if Georgia loses to Alabama on a neutral neutral field in the game before the playoff, yeah, all right, we know who's better. Send them on. Doesn't matter. Bama's going by thirty. And that's true, but I, I, I that's just always. I mean, that argument always comes up about the conference championship. If you're right, if your goal is to use that conference championship as a as a de facto play, and then fair enough, but say that, but don't say you want the four best teams in and say one of them can't be the, the one of the four best teams. Yeah, they can. They could be the second best team. And again, this is an argument for Condoleezza Rice to make, not me. But not I'm not saying every time, but I, I think it's okay to be flexible in certain situations. Be logical. Be smart about it. Those two teams go head-to-head, neutral site in the game before the playoff. The winner of that game is the best team. They move on. It's not going to happen that way in other conferences. If, if Clemson loses to Miami in the ACC championship game, Miami is not going to the college football playoff. The second SEC team will get in or a one-loss Big 12 or Pac-12 team will get in, conference champion, that is. So, But we'll see. I mean, there's a lot of football left to be played. It's all going to play itself out. My thing is, in that scenario, even though you believe that that should be a de facto game, the reason that's important is because there is, to me, in this season, with, with there being – High high level of team at the tops, uh, high high uh, caliber teams at the top that that may not lose, and like you said, Notre Dame probably won't lose. It's likely that the two SE teams will just lose in the in the championship game. 
So I'm not saying style points has to be the, the way way of, the way to go, but things have got to be cleaned up, and and you can't be ignorant to that either. You can't be ignorant to the fact that hey, don't don't make it come down to a judgment call uh, when the playoff makes that that decision. If I'm Dabo and Clemson, I just keep winning, and it's all going to work itself out. No, I, I tend to think that too. I'm just saying don't don't err on the side of being ignorant and playing like Clemson football, which is barely getting past Syracuse. At some point. Let's treat some games like a championship game and, and, and understand, like just have, you know, peek out the, out the rearview mirror every now and then and, and take a look at what's going on in the college football landscape. Right. But barely getting past Syracuse meant doing it with our third string quarterback and then just manhandling them once we decided to win that game. So it's our second, second string quarterback. <sighs> yes. At that point, second string quarterback entering the season, he was our third string quarterback entering January. He was our sixth string quarterback. Um, Anyways, a lot of a lot of fun left to be had this season. Um, sky's still the limit for this Clemson football team. We're we're excited about that. Needless to say, I mean there are a lot of areas where we need improvement, and we're certainly going to be concerned if we don't see that, especially coming out of the bye week. I think going into that NC State game, we want to see a lot of these uh, questions answered at the end of that game. Okay, well, week seven could have in store for us, uh, helping us answer some of these questions. Georgia goes to LSU. LSU coming off that loss to Florida, um, but this listen, they're still going to be a tough opponent uh, there in Baton Rouge, so Georgia could go down in that game. Washington's plan at Oregon, that could for certain push the Pac-12 out of the conversation. Uh, West Virginia is going to Iowa State. Iowa State with uh, the win uh, in uh, Stillwater against Oklahoma State. This past weekend, so that's going to be a tough opponent. So again, you're starting to get into week six, week seven, week eight. A lot of these teams are going to start to go down. So it's getting fun, man. The playoff picture is slowly but surely coming into focus. It's it's uh, the playoff. The first announcement of the the, the preliminary announcement. Uh, it, it's it's coming in. They believe two or three weeks. So um, yeah, yeah. I think November is about when that is. So it's it's upon us. Okay, that's fair enough. Uh, there's some good football along the way. Uh, fortunately, because ACC is so lackluster, uh, it's not all going to be uh, within uh, within Clemson's games. But at least the brand of football uh, with Trevor Lawrence has it's been it has been exciting. It's been a little bit volatile, but we have some things to watch. Um, like you said, Georgia is you know not not, not to just talk about them ad nauseum, but they are playing against LSU. They will play Auburn later in the year. They'll play Kentucky and Florida. So, man, they have they do have a murderer's row of a schedule. So um, I think you will see a few teams getting a loss here and there where, where you wouldn't otherwise expect it. It always happens. I think the stat is like 13 out of the 16 college football playoff teams um, have had one loss going into the playoffs. So it's going to happen. Not a lot of undefeated teams. It's really hard to go a full season being undefeated. Um, so expect teams to, to come out with a loss. Um, you know, but, but all this being said, it's Clemson doesn't need to be as good as Ohio state, Georgia and Alabama right now. What they need to do is they need to be better than the next team on their schedule. But it is fair to say that we can look to Alabama as the gold standard. If Clemson wants to achieve all of its goals this year, they're going to have to be better than Alabama and Alabama looks like a damn good football team right now. We you know, they, a little bit weaker on defense than normal, um, which could be a, a, a way for us to exploit them. But still, what you're seeing out of two in that offense, it's it's mind-blowing. 
Yeah, that was going to be my point. Is there? It's it is one of the weakest defenses that Bama's seen in, in probably the Saban era, if not like maybe in his in his first year at Bama. They're they're number eighteen um, in S and P ratings. That is unbelievably low for them. Um, although, like you said, Tua just masks everything. Yes, yeah, they're scoring sixty points a game. So that number eighteen defense isn't giving up sixty five a game. That's right, and. Uh, <laughs> that's all they got to do is just give up uh, 64 or less and they're good. But I mean, there's, there's the, the consideration of uh, it is garbage time, like by the second quarter for them. So maybe the defense isn't as motivated, but certainly not what it's been in, in recent years. So there is a gap, but it can be closed. Um, Clemson have to stay really focused to, to start to start to chip away though. Well, all that remains to be seen. It's been ex- an exciting first half of the 2018 football season, and we anticipate the, the second half is going to be just as exciting, if not more, hopefully without all the drama that we've seen uh, so far this year. Um, so I think that about does, us, uh, does it for this episode. Uh, we're coming up on a bye week, which means the podcast is taking their annual week off. We're looking forward to it. We're going to Cody and I are going to be traveling to Clemson, South Carolina this weekend, actually, to to see our good buddy and fellow co-host Sam uh, get married to his fiancée Katie, both both Clemson alum, getting married back in Clemson in the bye week. And then I'm going to take the week, go back down to Charleston, come back up for the NC State game. So really looking forward to all that. So we will be back at you after the North Carolina State game uh, with a recap there, hopefully another Clemson, Clemson victory. And once again, we appreciate everybody for listening. Um, if you want to stay in touch with us or interact, you can email us at clemsonpodcast at gmail.com. We're at Clemson Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Um, make sure to, to follow us, uh, subscribe to us on SoundCloud or Stitcher, iTunes, any of your podcasting apps. Um, and then iTunes reviews. I mentioned those earlier in the episode. We really appreciate all the great reviews that everybody's given us. Um, I just can't tell you how much uh, that means to us. And it gives us a lot of motivation to to keep going with this year in and year out. Um, Yeah, so with that, we'll be back with you after the Tigers take on the Wolfpack in Death Valley. And until then, go Tigers. Go Tigers.